Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on Believe, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. This is Believe. Every team, every topic, everywhere. I'm your host, Nara Wang, and in episode 89, I get to talk to one of my friends dating back to our days as USC students, the host of NFL Fantasy Live on the NFL Network, Marcus Grant. Marcus, welcome back to the Everything USC podcast. Good to be back and uh, talking about a team that's 6-0, and even if they have a ton of flaws. <laughs> That is something we will get into, into this show. And of course, if you enjoy listening, please subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, and so many more. Or you can go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network. For me, you can find me on the artist, formerly known as Twitter or X. At Nara Wang Sports, N A R A W E N G Sports. Marcus, if the people want to find out where you are, what you're doing, where do they go? Yeah, uh, the best place usually is Twitter, and it's Marcus G, M A R C A S G. But as you mentioned, on NFL Fantasy Live several days a week on NFL Network. Also hosting the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast, which you can find in all the places you find podcasts. And working with the folks at Fantasy Life, which is Matthew Berry's own platform and so doing a handful of shows there which you can find us on youtube just search mb fantasy life and you'll find all sorts of great stuff there the everything usc podcast is brought to you by bet online which is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up-to-the-minute stats news scores and matchup breakdowns football is back Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From Week One all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, Bet Online gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. I don't usually get too deep on this podcast into the multiple plays that make up the course of a game when I recap the previous Trojans matchup, but I'm going to make an exception this week because so many crazy, ridiculous, and unheard of things happened in the USC triple overtime victory over Arizona that I feel like I need to go over them if only to remind everyone listening and myself that yes, all of this stuff actually happened. So, USC fell behind 17-0 to the Wildcats, the first time they have trailed in any game this season, the final team in all of FBS to trail in a game, and that 17-0 deficit was less than two minutes into the second quarter. At that point in the game, Arizona quarterback, redshirt freshman Noah Fafita, making his second career start, was 12 of 16 for 153 yards and two touchdowns, while the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams, was one of six for three yards. 
USC had punted on its first three possessions of the game. The Trojans, of course, then get the longest play of the game on the very next drive, a 53-yard catch by Brendan Rice. But on the very next play, Williams lost the fumble on a sack by Isaiah Ward, which Martel Irby recovered for U of A. Fafita then throws an interception to Jacoby Covington on their very next possession there, and USC turns it into Williams' first TD run of the game to get on the board. USC would take its first lead of the game with 5.44 left in the third quarter, 21-20, on Marshawn Lloyd's 9-yard TD run, and then extended it to 28-20 early in the fourth quarter on Williams' second TD run. Arizona then ties it with 8.17 left to go on a Fafita TD pass to Jacob Cowing, followed by a two-point conversion pass to Tetairoa McMillan on what looked like almost the exact same play as the touchdown. After Wildcats kicker Tyler Loop missed a 50-yard field goal attempt with 2.08 to go in regulation, USC has the ball at their 33-yard line and took just five plays to get to the Arizona six-yard line with 24 seconds left. Now this is where everything goes off the rails. First down play, Caleb Williams for some reason decides to throw behind Brendan Rice who wasn't even looking for the ball. Second down play, Williams botches the handoff to Lloyd and has to recover the fumble for a two-yard loss and then they're scrambling to line up to, I guess, down the ball but Riley runs down the sideline to the line judge, calls timeout with four seconds left and everyone's just like, all right, Just kick the field goal. Let's get out of here with this lucky win. The Trojans bring out Dennis Lynch to kick that field goal, and Arizona calls timeout to freeze him, but SC gets the practice kickoff, which goes through. No problem. But then on the actual third down play, the snap is high, Lynch's timing is off, and the kick barely gets off the ground for a 25-yard miss to end the fourth quarter in a 28-28 tie. In overtime, USC goes first because Arizona won the coin toss and Williams gets his third touchdown run of the game. But Arizona answers in just one play as Fafita hits Cowing for his third TD catch of the game. In the second overtime, the Wildcats start with the ball and Cowing gets his fourth touchdown reception. But the two point try is no good because you got to go for two in the second overtime. The Trojans get an Austin Jones 11 yard touchdown run. But their two-point try is also not converted, so it goes to triple overtime, tied at 41. SC lines up for the two-point try in triple overtime with most of the linemen wide left, and then Williams ends up having to run the ball right and barely gets the ball over the pylon for the two-point conversion. Because starting with the third overtime in college football overtime, you gotta just do two-point conversion plays. Then U of A, for some reason, decide to try a toss sweep that is blown up by Mason Cobb and Prophet Brown to give USC the 43-41 win, triple overtime in the Coliseum. Marcus Grant, I'm still not exactly sure what we all watched last Saturday (laughs) night, but I know it wasn't good. Do you have an explanation for what USC showed in barely remaining undefeated at the halfway point of its regular season schedule? You know, I'm not one who sits and watches all 22s and, and, you know, grinds film and that sort of thing. But it does seem like Arizona came in with a plan to slow down the Trojans passing. I mean, part of it was they just got off to a sluggish start, which, look, I get it. Sometimes it just happens. Sometimes it's not your night. But 
At the same time, I do think Arizona sort of had a plan to try to keep everything in front of them a little bit to try and limit the big plays. They were very good on those plays out of structure. I mean, it's every week that we have one of those plays where Caleb, you know, breaks the pocket. He runs around for six, seven seconds and he inevitably throws like a 50 yard pass downfield that goes for either a big first down or a touchdown. Arizona didn't let that happen. So they definitely seem to come in with a plan and. The USC passing game never got going. Credit to Caleb that he found other ways to make it happen. He decided that he was going to, you know, put the team on his back and run the football occasionally and make some plays that way. But they were not explosive. And I think it's something we've seen the last couple of weeks where they just have not been really in sync. I think a couple of weeks ago, I think that was more about the offense just sort of not not really clicking. This week, I think some credit does go to Arizona. But it's worrisome because we all know that the defense is going to struggle. They're going to give up yards. They are going to give up points. And so it's sort of incumbent on the offense to go out and, you know, it's weird to say this, but they really do have to score 40 points a game for the Trojans to have a chance because the defense is going to allow probably at least 30 on any given week. So they have gotten through the easiest part of their schedule unscathed. And now, I mean, here come the big boys starting this week with Notre Dame. Exactly right. We're going to get more into the Notre Dame matchup in the next segment, but to go over the stats in the game, USC with just 351 yards of total offense, by far the lowest total they've had this season. Eight of USC's 23 first downs came by Arizona penalties. The Wildcats had 12 total penalties for 99 yards, which was a big help for USC getting the win. Caleb Williams probably his worst game as a Trojan, even though he was the one who ultimately carried us to the victory, just 14 to 25, passing 205 yards and a touchdown, lost that fumble. He still leads the nation in pass efficiency and touchdown passes with 22 total, which just tells you how good he was coming into this game. He ran 12 times for 41 yards, would have had 24 more yards that were lost on four sacks, and then those three touchdown runs. Marshawn Lloyd continuing his strong season, 15 carries, 86 yards, and that touchdown. Brendan Rice, the leading receiver, four catches, 96 yards. Kyron Hudson had the other touchdown catch, one of his two catches on the day for just 12 yards, but that one was also slightly controversial. They had to try and review it, and probably was no good angle to see if he was actually in the end zone when he caught it, so they had to keep the score as it was. And again, Pac-12 refs don't get me started. On the other side of the ball, the defense, like you're talking about, just three sacks, had the interception, but they allowed 506 yards, 6.6 yards per play to Arizona. Jalen Smith led the Trojans with 10 tackles, one for loss. Jamil Muhammad, five tackles, three for loss, and two sacks to lead the Trojans in that category. But you allow Noah Fafita to throw for 303 yards and five touchdowns. Again, a redshirt freshman making his second career start. Running back Jonah Coleman for the Wildcats, 22 carries, 143 yards, added 37 yards on four catches. Jacob Cowling with a career night, 10 catches, 88 yards, and the four touchdowns. Tetaroa McMillan, six catches, 138 yards. So even with the win... USC drops again in the polls, 10th in the AP now, 9th in the coaches poll. Marcus, are the Trojans trying to set a record for most spots dropped in rankings without losing a game? I mean, it is it is sort of amazing, but I don't think any of us can argue 
that it wasn't justified every single time they fell. I mean, I think at some point we, you know, I watched that game and, you know, here it is. It's close in the third quarter. It's close in the fourth quarter. And I'm like, you know, even if they win, they're going to fall again in the rankings. It just seemed inevitable. So it keeps happening. They keep winning. I'll say this. This week on the road against a ranked team in a rivalry game, even if they somehow squeak one out, I'm going to say that even with a win, they don't drop this week just because of the circumstances involved in it. You would like to think that would be the case if they can win in South Bend. But you mentioned the defense. To me, it's very Jekyll and Hyde. They can make the best play on one down and then the worst play on the very next down. They can have a great drive where they go three and out. They put pressure on the quarterback. They stuff the run. And then the next drive, it looks like a Pop Warner team out there. It's just so unreal how within the swing of one game you see this defense go through so many different iterations it seems and so I came up starting last week with the Grinch gripe scale so if you remember from a couple years ago we had the Helton hot seat scale we had the chili peppers you could vote to see how hot you thought Clay Helton's seat was when he was feeling the heat from USC fans so obviously all the USC fans seem to be griping about Defensive coordinator Alex Grinch. So the Grinch gripe scale based on the Dr. Seuss classic, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So three categories. Stealing Christmas. So that's if you think that this defense is just the worst. Chilling in the cave. So the Grinch lives in a cave. So if he's just chilling in the cave, you're kind of neutral. And then feasting with the Who's. So obviously at the end of the story, spoiler alert, his heart grows three sizes and he decides to join the Who's in Whoville for big Christmas feast. So if you think the defense is doing great, you'll pick that. So no surprise, the results after last week's game, 78% of the people voting chose stealing Christmas. The remaining 22% split evenly among chilling in the cave and feasting with the who's. So where do you fall on this whole Grinch gripe scale and this defense in general, Marcus? Well, he's definitely not feasting. So we can, we can cross that one out immediately. I think He's much closer to stealing Christmas than he is to just chilling in the cave. You know, the start last week was obviously bad. And in fact, look, over the sum total of the game, they gave up 41 points, which is hard to really defend. I do think there is something to be said that after the bad start, you get the Covington interception, which kind of gets the offense going a little bit, gets the team going a little bit. They did give up just 11 points through the rest of regulation. So they gave up those 17 quickly. They give up 11 points through the rest of the, you know, the four quarters there. And it took a while for the offense to kind of click into gear. So I think there's something kind of to be said for that. But I think to your point, the consistency just is not there. Uh, I think I was reading recently that they are, and this surprised me, they are you know, top 10 in the nation in tackles for loss per game and in sacks per game. Cause sometimes it just doesn't look like they're getting any kind of pressure on the quarterback. So that number kind of surprised me. And so you're right. They will go and they will give up a 60-yard play on a busted coverage, and then the next couple plays, somebody's in the backfield you know, backing the offense up. And so if they could sort of find that consistency on a, not just a play-to-play basis, but a, you know, a drive-to-drive basis even, I think you'd feel a lot better about them. But really the fact that there are a ton of missed assignments, there are broken tackles seemingly on every play, it just seems like a lack of awareness about what assignments are supposed to be they are much, much closer to stealing Christmas than they are, you know, just chilling in the cave. And they are certainly a long way 
from feasting with the Who's. I mean, the most basic thing is the missed tackles. I think that's what everything is really coming down to. In the last two games, they've had 17 missed tackles each in both of the last two games for USC. So if that doesn't change, we'll see on this back half of the schedule. But of course, this is the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today, one of my longtime friends and the host of NFL Fantasy Live on the NFL Network and doing all things fantasy, Marcus Grant. If you enjoy the show, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And you can also go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network. For me, I'm on X or Twitter or whatever you like to call it, at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Marcus, where can the people catch up with what you're doing? Mostly on Twitter, because that's what it will always be. Marcus G, M-A-R-C-A-S-G. Catch me on NFL Network, on NFL Fantasy Live, also uh, the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast, uh, wherever you get podcasts, and then uh, doing stuff at FantasyLife.com, which uh, you can find at the website, FantasyLife.com, or on YouTube. Just search MB for Matthew Berry, MB Fantasy Life, and a whole bunch of stuff pops up. This is Steve Lavin, and you're listening to the Everything USC Podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Network. And now, time to look at this weekend's matchup, the greatest intersectional rivalry of them all in college football, USC versus Notre Dame, the 21st-ranked Notre Dame Fighting Irish hosting the Trojans this year in South Bend. The game, of course, on NBC when it's played out there at Notre Dame, 4.30 p.m. Pacific start. And, of course, you can always catch it on KABC 790 AM, the flagship station for the USC Trojans Radio Network. The Fighting Irish, 5-2 and two this season. Their head coach in his second season at the helm there in South Bend, Marcus Freeman. He's 14-6 and six so far. And Notre Dame, one of the few teams that has the advantage over USC all time. They lead the series 50-38-5, although technically one of those USC wins is vacated, so it's officially 37 wins for the Trojans. The last game last season, 38-27, USC win at the Coliseum, snapping a four-game losing streak versus Notre Dame. Caleb Williams in that one, four touchdowns, three of them coming on the ground. The last game in South Bend was a 31-16 loss for USC back in 2021. Looking at some of the notable players on both sides of the ball for the Fighting Irish, their quarterback, the grad transfer from Wake Forest, Sam Hartman, comes in with a 64.5% completion percentage, thrown for 1,712 yards, 16 touchdowns, and just three interceptions this season. During his career at Wake Forest in five seasons, he threw for an ACC record 110 touchdown passes. Their leading rusher, junior running back, Audric Estime, 105 carries for 692 yards, good for 6.6 per carry, seven touchdowns this season. Last year, SC did a good job against him, held him just 43 yards on six attempts. And their top receivers are, big surprise, tight ends. Following in the tradition of Michael Mayer, Cole Komet, the junior tight end Mitchell Evans leads the team 
with 22 receptions and 343 yards. He's got one touchdown on the season. The leading touchdown maker on the team receiving-wise is sophomore tight end Holden Stays, who has four touchdowns out of his eight catches for 139 yards. On the defensive side of things, defensive tackle Howard Cross the third. If that name is familiar, that's because he's the son of former New York Giants tight end Howard Cross Jr., a Super Bowl champion. The grad student has 42 tackles, five for loss, leading the team in both. One of those tackles for loss is a sack, and he's forced two fumbles. The grad Mike linebacker J.D. Bertrand has 41 tackles, three and a half for loss, second behind Cross on the team in both. He has a sack, two pass breakups, and three quarterback hurries as well. He is the 27th two-time captain in the program's history. In the defensive backfield, fourth-year junior safety Xavier Watts, 29 tackles, one and a half for loss, leads the team with two interceptions, and also has three pass breakups. So we know this team is good, but they have lost two of their last three games going down against Ohio State and Louisville. So you see USC struggling, but you see Notre Dame struggling. It's a rivalry game. Marcus, what do you think USC needs to do to get a second straight win in this great rivalry and retain the jeweled shillelagh? I mean, really, it's just be consistent on defense. You know, I think this offense is going to get it up and, and get going again. I, I'm not really concerned about that. And I think what's going to help is that, at least defensively, this Notre Dame team does not have the same caliber of receivers as what the Trojans have been facing in the Pac-12. I mean, the, the Pac-12, and you know this, is a wide-open, very offensive-heavy conference. If they're going to spread the ball around. They're going to throw it. They're going to use a lot of athleticism. That traditionally has not been Notre Dame football. You mentioned the fact that the tight end's sort of leading the way. I will say that's a concern considering the state of the inside linebacker core for the Trojans. But I think in terms of the guys on the outside, the guys on the boundary, I'm not sure that they have a ton of playmakers there, which is good considering the injuries uh, that SC is dealing with in the back part of that defense. So uh, if they can sort of keep things in front of them, if they can sort of keep contained, I think that certainly helps within the passing game. I think the guys up front have been pretty good. You know, Bear Alexander, maybe not a, you know, a guy who makes a lot of stats, but he's a guy who's really occupying the inside of that offensive line for the other teams. He can continue to be a run stuffer. If the, the guys, you know, on the edges up there can, can sort of get some pressure, keep contained, and they just get a little bit of help from the linebackers. I think that keeps that running game in control. I know that's easier said than done, but I really think that's it because I, I think the offense is going to kind of figure themselves out. I can't imagine they stay in a slump for too long. I will say this. It will be nice if they can get Zachariah Branch back because I do think they have been missing him for uh, a little bit. I think he's the most dynamic guy they've got not named Caleb Williams. And if he's back in the offense, that certainly opens things up for everybody else, too. Yeah, the true freshman's missed the last couple of games. He has been practicing this week. And of course, USC doesn't disclose anything about injuries. So you often don't even find out that a guy is not playing until maybe an hour before the game when all of a sudden all the people there are reporting, hey, so-and-so is out here in sweats. So we'll see if Zachariah Branch is ready to come back. And like you said, he's dynamic. He does things in all facets of the game. and it would be great to have the true freshman from Nevada back for this one. So we shall see if USC can turn things around, 
We know how dependent they are on Caleb Williams. And like you said, if the defense can just hold up against a Notre Dame offense that's good, but like you said, not as high-powered as what you see in the Pac-12, then I think they should get the win. But let's get right to our predictions then. So in the predictions segment so far to recap what I did last week with my guest, the editor of Trojans Wire, Matt Zemek. He was able to take two out of three against me. So the season total now, I lead the guests eight to five with two ties. And last week, the players we believed in, I took Marshawn Lloyd and he had a good game. Matt took Taj Washington, who had three catches for 61 yards. So not quite as good. So I took the win there in the game score. I had SE winning big, 52-20. I was wrong. Matt had SC winning 45-30, so since he had SC not covering the 22-point spread with the 43-41 win, I gave Matt the win there. And then in the prop bet, Nara's no doubter, because I was doubling down on the SC scoring a lot of points. I had him with 31 in the first half. The actual was 14, because the actual was 31 total points in the first half, which meant that the Zemek zone came through. He said the combined first half score total would be under the 37 and a half listed on bet online. So he was correct there. So he got two to my one last week. So let's get right into it. The players we believe in for this week. And you brought the name already. I think I'm going to take a risk here because doesn't necessarily always get the stats. So I'm hoping he will get some this week. But just in general, if he can play well, we'll see. I'm going with the Georgia transfer on the defensive line, Bear Alexander as the player I believe in. And again, a reminder that Caleb Williams not eligible to be picked this season because he's just too good. You can't pick Caleb Williams. So Marcus Grant, who is the USC Trojan you believe in? Well, you're uh, going defense. I'm going to go defense as well. I'm going to go with Jamil Muhammad uh, as a guy I believe in. I think he's uh, in, you know the guy who comes from the state of Georgia. He's uh, specifically Georgia State who transferred in. I think he gets after the quarterback, and I think he gets, uh, I'm going to give him two sacks of Sam Hartman. And I have to stop myself, so I want to say Sam Howell. But Sam Hartman, I think Jamil Muhammad uh, continues to play well. That's pretty funny because those were the two guys I was debating about who was <laughs> I going to pick. So I ended up going with Bear, and so you end up taking Muhammad. So that will be interesting to see the players we believe in both on the D-line. And now the game scoring winner, Marcus, I'll let you go first. I should mention, of course, that for the first time this season, our sponsor Bet Online, you have USC as an underdog. It's now, as we record this show on Thursday morning, a three-point underdog. Last night it was two and a half. It's now three, which tells you that the late sharp money might be coming in on the Fighting Irish for some reason. But with all that said, Marcus, what's your pick? So, I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because obviously it has a lot to do with the USC defense. I think that's what, why that line is moving and we pick two defensive players as our players to watch. So I don't know what that says about us. In the meantime, for this one, I'm going to take the Trojans. I'm going to take them, you know, finding out a way, right? Maybe some of the issues have been just a lack of focus because some of these bigger games are on the horizon. Well, now these big games start to show up. So maybe this team has a little bit more focus. So I think they go into South Bend. And it's going to be a back and forth contest, but I say the Trojans pull it out, and I will say by a score of 35-31. So you've got a close one there. I've got it USC as well by just a slightly larger margin. I'm going to go 38-30 
USC getting the win in South Bend. So we both are picking USC. Hopefully that's not just because we're alums, but (laughs) we are desperately hoping for USC to get the win. But we both see it as a fairly close game. So now going to the prop bet. Nara's no doubter for this week is that USC will force three-plus turnovers in this game, which is why I think they're going to get the win. I think they're going to get at least one or two picks of Sam Hartman. I think they're going to cause a fumble. So I'm just going to go with USC forcing three-plus turnovers on this one. So, Marcus, what are you calling your pick, and what is it? We will call it taken for granted. I believe that's that's what we've been rolling with uh, the last couple times I've been on this show. So no need to change that. And I'm going to go on the offensive side here. I'm going to say that Marshawn Lloyd gets over 100 rushing yards in this one. I feel like they've sort of ignored him at times in games. I think you know at some point they're going to have to slow things down and run the football, and, and he's been the most effective guy. So I'm going to give over 100 yards. We'll call it, what, take the over on 100.5 yards for Marshawn Lloyd this week. Yeah, I think a lot of USC fans would love to see Marshawn Lloyd get the ball more, and you can count me as one of those. So, to recap our predictions, first of all, the players we believe in, both going on the defensive side, I'm taking Bear Alexander, Marcus Grant taking Jamil Muhammad. In the game score, I've got USC 38-30, Marcus has it 35-31 Trojans, both of us eskewing the three-point underdog status of USC right now on Bet Online, And in the prop bet, Nars No Doubter, is that SC getting three-plus takeaways, while Marcus says that his taken for granted is that Marshawn Lloyd, the running back, will get over 100 rushing yards against the Irish. So again, we'll see how this all turns out. I'll be keeping the tally all season long against my guests. And this is the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang, my guest today, host of NFL Fantasy Live on NFL Network, and one of my old college roommates dating back to our USC days, Marcus Grant. If you enjoy the show, subscribe, download, rate it wherever you find your favorite podcasts or at our website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Network. For me, I'm on the X, the Twitter, whatever at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Marcus, to find out what you're doing, where do they go? Go to Twitter, Marcus G, M-A-R-C-A-S-G, or you can check me out on NFL Network. NFL Fantasy Live uh, airs at uh, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on NFL Network. NFL Fantasy Football Podcast, wherever you download podcasts, and a a lot of stuff at Fantasy Life. You can go to FantasyLife.com. That will give you kind of a taste of all the goodness we're doing over there. Trojan fans, this is Brian Jones, college football analyst for CBS Sports, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. And in the final segment, as usual, talking about conference realignment. I know that when you were on the show last year, we already talked about USC, UCLA moving to the Big Ten. So this year, I want to focus more on the collapse of the Pac 12. We had kind of talked about what the move of SC and UCLA would do to the Pac-12, but I don't think either of us saw the implosion that has happened in the last few months with Oregon and Washington now also going to the Big Ten, the Arizona schools along with Utah and Colorado going to the Big 12, 
and the ACC picking up Cal and Stanford, leaving Oregon State and Washington State as the Pac-2 for now. Marcus, you also grew up in Northern California like I did, grew up with the Pac-10 in our youth, and then it became the Pac-12. How do you feel about the collapse of this conference? I'm sad. I mean, I don't think there's any way around it that I'm, I'm absolutely sad about it. I, I thought, well, first, when it was the Pac-10, it was the perfect conference in terms of symmetry. You had five distinct regions of the West Coast with two teams apiece. The rivalries were naturally there. Everything about it was so great. So that, you know, that always was wonderful. And it was odd, you know, a little bit odd to bring in Utah and Colorado. Utah has added a ton to the conference. Colorado, maybe not so much until this year. But to see this thing with a hundred plus years of tradition and so many national championships across so many sports and to see it fall apart the way it did in large part because of greed and incompetence, it's frustrating. And I know, you know, I know a lot of people will look at USC and UCLA and point and say, Hey, look, you guys sort of sped the demise of the conference by taking a paycheck and running. But I do think that financially it was understandable. It hurts. But it was understandable why those two schools did what they did. And yeah, maybe it did sort of hasten the end of the conference. But I think, you know, we would all agree just watching it. There were leaks in the boat for a really long time. And that is what sort of facilitated the beginning of all this shuffling here. So, yeah, it, it's going to hurt. And I will tell you that I, you know, at least right now, it's hard for me to get excited about a lot of these games that we're going to play. Like, yes, it's going to be great to play Ohio State and Michigan. But I would rather have a cold, foggy, sloppy Thursday night in Corvallis than a foggy, gray, nondescript Saturday morning in Evanston. It's just it's just history. It's tradition. Maybe one day I'll feel differently. But for now, you know, it's hard to emotionally get myself revved up for games against Indiana or Rutgers or Nebraska. I just I just can't really do it. Yeah, I mean, you saw the teams that were announced in the revamped. Big Ten schedule for next season after they added Oregon Washington. They had to throw out the previous schedule. And you saw the teams that are coming to the Coliseum next year. You got Penn State and Rutgers and Wisconsin and Nebraska, which, I mean, that's probably a collective eh, right? Yeah, it really is. It's like, I uh, I guess, but it just, you know, again, like, I remember like when this first happened, talking to a guy, a Wisconsin grad, and he said to me, hey, man, don't don't hate on my Badgers. And I was like, I don't. And that's kind of the problem. Like, I'm generally indifferent to the Wisconsin Badgers. We don't play you guys that often. We don't really have a major history against you. You know, I, I guess the novelty will be fun. Like the first couple of times the Trojans go to Camp Randall. But beyond that, it's just I don't know. Like, there's just there's there's no animosity there because there's no shared history. And when you look at. What happened in the negotiations? John Canzano, the writer up in Oregon, did some digging, found out that the Utah president is the one who came up with that ridiculous $50 million valuation after he had discussions with other people. I mean, how do you think that you can even get that number without USC and UCLA? I mean, isn't that just common sense that you can't? Yeah, I mean, you would, you would, you would think so, right? That you're losing your two big, you know, conference crown jewels in the largest media market that you have in the conference and that somehow they're going to pay. Although I do think it's funny that all these schools have left to go other places and they have helped kind of create bigger payouts for these respective conferences. Yet somehow the Pac-10 couldn't figure out when they had all these schools together how to get such a payout. And I think it just sort of speaks to, again, 
kind of a history of incompetence when it comes to conference commissioners. We started with Larry Scott, you know, we got at the Klyavkov, and, and maybe he was handed sort of a bag of poop, but he didn't help himself out either with the way he sort of handled things. So when it comes down to it, with all of this movement around the country, Pac-12 teams scattering across the country to different conferences, Marcus, is all of this good for college football? Is all of this good for college sports as a whole? What do you think about how this is all going to shake out here in the next few years? No, I don't, I don't think it's good for, for anything. I think it's good for a handful of people. It's good for television execs who you know, get to make a lot of money. It's good, I guess, for conference commissioners and university presidents. But even then, only a, a small group of them. I mean, I think you're getting a lot of schools that are getting sort of left out. The fact that Oregon State and Washington State are still trying to figure out their futures especially at a time when they're putting together really good football teams. You know, I think it's disappointing. It's disheartening. And so this is just for the sport that this is all based around. That's before you get to the other sports, right? I mean, this has all been framed in the context of what it means for football, ignoring what it means for a lot of the other sports that don't get the eyeballs on them for their their games, that don't get the revenue and the support they get, you know, financially that football gets. I mean, you know, the USC Football team having to travel across the country to play games also means that the volleyball teams do that, you know, swimming and diving and all these and a lot of these other sports, they also have to go through the same travel without nearly the same sort of perks that, uh, you know, that the high profile sports do. And so I think that hurts. And again, like I, I mentioned earlier, just sort of losing the a lot of the natural regional rivalries. College sports have always been, to me at least, a regional proposition and you cared you know, if you were a USC fan, you cared about what Stanford and Cal and Arizona and UCLA and Washington were doing. And like maybe you you checked in on the Floridas and Georgias of the world because it was just interesting and you were a fan of the sport, but it didn't really impact you. Now, you know, you are kind of you know, caring about schools that are far across the country that really have no sort of regional tie to you. And I, and I think, you know, in terms of interest, I know the idea is to sort of create a Champions League type thing in soccer, and I just don't know that it works that way in college sports. And I think, you know, a lot of these TV execs who maybe aren't as tied into that aspect of it are going to find this out the hard way. Yeah, it will be interesting to see once the novelty wears off, because like you said, a lot of people are going to be excited about traveling to Michigan to see the big house, to see... The horseshoe in Columbus, Ohio, to go to Happy Valley and see Penn State. But, I mean, in a few years, it's just going to be another conference trip, another conference game, and especially in those other sports, not football. So, I'm going to be interested to see how it works. But again, like you said, this is TV money. It's programming for them. And this is how the sport has evolved because the conferences are in charge of everything. The NCAA has no power. And, I mean, they barely have power in the sports they do control. I mean, look at what the University of Kansas basketball team just got as a punishment this week after four years of ridiculousness. So there's a lot of things that are going to go on in these next few years that are going to be a change. We're going to have to adapt. And that's part of life, obviously. But it is going to be weird to not have a weekender for USC students anymore. It's going to be weird that we have these four outlier West Coast schools in the Big Ten, and yet there are going to be those trips way across the country to Rutgers and Maryland for things. So 
I'm interested to see how it shakes out, and I just know it's going to be weird doing a podcast about a Big Ten team next season, Mark. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the thing about the weekend, and that's a thing that really has has kind of weighed on me. It's funny. I I had a chance to talk to David Shaw recently, the former Stanford coach. He does some stuff at NFL Network, usually around the draft. You know, this was right after a lot of these teams, right right in the middle of all this mess when teams were like looking to kind of get out and stuff. And I was talking to him about how you know. I'm going to miss the weekender. You know how there are so many, there's so much crossover, how many LA students go to the Bay Area for college and vice versa, and how I think that's going to be a big lost experience. And one of the things he said to me was, look, man, for all the games we played, there was nothing we wanted more than to beat SC. Like that was, that was the highlight of our year if everything else was going wrong for us. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I was like, look, I, we wanted to beat you guys too. I was like, I'm glad that you're working with us, right? And not on the sidelines because you found a way to, to beat us, it seems like all the time. I was like, I'm not going to feel the same way about Minnesota or something like that. So I think that pain is felt from a lot of sides that a lot of these longtime rivalries are just breaking up now. I mean, these are a lot of games that we are playing this season, that USC is playing this season, that are going to be the last time we play a team in a while, unless we want to schedule them as a non-conference foe. And why would we do that? You know, because it's already tough enough when you're going to go into the Big Ten. You're always going to have Notre Dame on the schedule. So for your two non-conference games, are you going to always try and schedule one of these old Pac-12 foes just to have that? I doubt it. So we're going to see how this all turns out. But Marcus Grant, my longtime friend, my old college roommate, it's always great to get to chop it up with you about USC sports, man. Absolutely. I uh, appreciate you giving me a call and, and getting me back in here. And yeah, hopefully we have all found some sort of stress reliever, some sort of fidget toy or stress ball to squeeze on when we're watching the games because the Trojans, for better or worse, will never let you rest. There's no, there's no good time to turn off a USC game because it's never over regardless of the score. I've yet to find the stress reliever tool that actually works <laughs> for USC football so far. So I'll just let you know. I'll just be straight up with you right there. So for my guests, Marcus Grant of the NFL Network, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 89 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online on Believe, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. This is Believe. Every team, every topic, everywhere. And, of course, as I end every show, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.